We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And the title of today's Easter message is to know him and the power of his resurrection. To know him and the power of his resurrection. Before we jump into the word, I want to tell you a story. This is a story about a man who had everything. The man who had it all. And maybe uh, we've, we've probably seen this story repeated over and over again in society. But this is a true story about a man. This particular man was wealthy. He was healthy. He was strong. He was extremely smart. Very intelligent person. He was respected by everyone who mattered in his country. And he was himself a rising star in the political scene. He was gaining in respect and popularity, political power. One of those guys who could potentially have become one of the leaders of his country, if not the top leader of his country at some point. He was respected to that level. People had high expectations for this young man. People would often call upon him for advice. High-ranking leaders would call upon him for advice because of his great wisdom that he possessed. He was a respected teacher. He knew several languages, and he had advanced to a postgraduate level of education. I mean, this guy was bright and brilliant and everything that you would imagine in a rising star in both the academic world and the political world. He was the kind of guy that they, the government started giving him special assignments. They would see something that needed to be accomplished. They would give him the job. He would go, and he would be the one who would get it done. And on top of all this, he was a citizen in this country, which was one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time. And it seemed that he could pretty much get whatever he wanted out of life. This was just that, you guys know the kind of guy I'm talking about, right? We're talking like a Bill Gates. We're talking a Donald Trump, you know, who's president right now. Just one of those people who you look at and you're like, man, that guy could just do whatever he wants in life. And, and you know, it, we're talking to Steve Jobs. We're, we're talking about these heavy hitters in society. We know who they are. This guy was one of those. But one day this man came to realize that everything that he had was pointless and that was fading away. And, and he was at the height of his career, politically and intellectually and academically, all of those things. He was at the absolute height of his career. And he went so far at the height of his career, as, as he was beginning to crest over the top of the mountain, he went so far as to call all of his prestige, all of his fame, all of his power, all of his possessions, all the respect that he had from the world, just a nasty load of garbage. That's what he called it. Now, who am I talking about? Some of you already have caught on. We're talking about the man who wrote this passage that we're diving into today in Philippians chapter 3. We're talking about the Apostle Paul himself. Paul was the dude in his day. All right, He was the guy everybody wanted to be friends with. He was influential. He was powerful. He was all these things. Okay, He was one of the great people in his day. He was a Jeff Bezos. You know what I mean? He was, he was a... He was a guy that people looked at and thought, man, that is a guy I want to be like. And he took all of that prestige and all of that power and he said it's worthless, it's pointless. And that's exactly what we're going to read today in Philippians chapter 3. If you would open your Bibles with me to that passage, we're going to dive in a little bit. We're going to start a little bit before our focus 
point uh, in this passage today, which is verses 10 and 11. But we're going to start back a little bit at uh, verse 7. And I just want to read this in context context, because I think it helps us to get the idea of what the Apostle Paul is getting across to us. And here's what he wrote. He wrote, but these assets, all these things that I just mentioned, he sort of, he sort of goes through and he, uh, and he talks about all of his stuff that he had for a minute. But he doesn't do it because he's trying to brag. He's trying to show the Philippians his frame of reference. He's like, hey, I had it all. I had all this stuff. All of these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. Other translations would say, all of these things I have, I have come to see as rubbish or garbage. And by the way, if you would get back to the original Greek of this, it's a word that we probably wouldn't say in public because of our Victorian backgrounds, but it, it, it's basically a load of animal excrement, for lack of a better word. Um, it, it, it's essentially, I mean, Paul is saying it's the lowest of lows. That's what it means to me. What do you do with your dog poop? I'm pretty sure you don't save it. You, you throw it out. It's worthless. That's what he's saying. He said, this is, this is worthless to me. All of these things that I had are, are totally worthless to me. And I love how this translation, this is the New English translation, it puts it. All of these things that, that the world considers assets, I now count as liabilities. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung. Oh, there it is. There it is. I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. It's powerful, and we're not even to the end of it. It's powerful, though, right? Imagine, if this is true for Paul, how much more is it true for me? I'm not great. I'm not influential, and and, and most people who are watching this, you're the same. We're just normal people. If Paul had all this great fame and influence and all this power, and he looks at it, and he, by the way, he, he, I'm sure he had stuff. I'm sure he had a nice house, probably had the best pony. He got knocked off of it when he was on his way to Damascus, but, but he, had, you know, he had all those things. But, you know, again, if it's true for Paul, how much more is it true for me? And let's listen to how he describes this righteousness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, it is Easter. And we call it Resurrection Sunday, and so it is. It's the day we celebrate when Christ rose from the dead. And Paul understood something. Paul understood that the power for everything that the human heart really dreams about and imagines that humanity could become and could be or should be is actually wound up, and and we could say this better, found in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But like Paul, when he looks at all of his stuff and how worthless it really was, 
It's true for us, too, as I already mentioned. And the reality is all of those things, no matter how many things we have or how much prestige we might have in this world, the day will come when it will all be stripped from us. And I think that is what Paul came to see. Paul came to see that everything that he had built in this life was actually very fragile. Now, uh, I think we're in a moment in history where we can see that incredibly well right now. There are many of us right now who were feeling pretty good about life about a month ago. And today we are not feeling so great about things. Uh, we had the, the, the strongest economy in the history of our nation only a month ago, and today the economy is on life support. The things that we rely on for our meaning and significance and our, our sense of safety and security are so fragile that all it takes is a little tiny virus that is measured in microns that you can't even see without the help of, a, um, of, of an electron microscope. A very tiny thing. That's all it takes to bring it all down. And reality is, we are all going to pass from this life at some point. And what will you take with you? That's what Paul had come to see. So for all of us, the lives that we're building are very fragile. No matter how great they are, they're very fragile. The, the wealthiest in this world and the poorest in this world all end up in the same place, and it's six feet underground. Or perhaps cremated if you're not one who buries. But the reality is we all die. We all leave this world. And what do we take with us? Absolutely nothing. Paul understood that Jesus came because we're all in this boat. We're all in this boat of futility. And God didn't create us to be like that. That's, by the way, the futility boat where everyone dies and everything that we build goes away and it's pointless ultimately. That's not the boat that God built and put us on. The world wasn't always that way. God always intended for us to be with him, to rule and reign over this world for the things that we do to have eternal significance. He always intended for us to be his right-hand people, to rule and reign with him over this world, and even to grow to rule and reign with him in the universe, I believe. God always intended for us to be that, to be his, his image that he set forth in this world so that all of the universe could see his glory and what he's like through humanity. God always meant for us to be that way. But when Adam and Eve chose to walk away from God, when they chose that their own path was better than God, what they did is they essentially said that God is not good and that being made in his image is not good enough and that we have to build our own image and it's going to be better. And because of all that, this world is the way it is today. But Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. And you would think that if he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live, that his reward would be something great. But rather than something great, Jesus received death for what he did. He received death for what he did in our place so that we can receive life because of what he's done. This is really important because even though we earned death because of our sin, righteous Jesus died in our place for our sin. And so now a new reality is opened up for us, and it's a truer 
and better reality than the one that we're living in right now. And it's the one that we dreamed we could always, we always dreamed we could live in this reality. This is what humanity is striving for. It's why we're obsessed with progress. Do you realize that we're obsessed with progress as a culture because of a, a Judeo-Christian understanding of the world? Because in the Bible, we see the world is progressing towards something great. Even though there's a lot of brokenness around us, we know in the end God is going to restore all things. That's, that's what it says at the end of the book, right? Revelation. We see God restores everything. By the, way, Rev, by the way, Revelation's not just a book about all this mass destruction that all the people who uh, write all these books want you to think it is. It's actually a book about restoration. And those who are in Christ get to experience restoration. The death and destruction, God doesn't want that for you. That's a consequence of sin, but he's trying to save you from your sin. Do you not see what we're saying here is that God's plan for you is not for you to live in futility, for you to be destroyed with this world. He wants you to be restored when this world is restored, and that happens through his son, Jesus, who died for you even though he was righteous and you are not. He, the righteous, took the penalty or the wages. Remember, uh, Scripture says, if you're familiar with the Bible, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It means those of us who sin, who live in rebellion or contrary to who God is, we earn death. It's not like God is looking down upon the world and saying, well, you know what? You didn't do what I said, so I'm going to have to smack you. No, death is the natural consequence of sin and rebellion against God. It's just natural. It's, it, it, it flows from it. As much as thermodynamics, I throw a ball, it's going to hit the ground. I drop an apple, it's going to hit the ground. You understand? It's, it's, it's gravity. It's cause and effect. If I sin, death is the effect. But that is not what God intends for you and me. God has made it possible for us, even though we rebelled, even though we broke it, he's made it possible through Jesus for us to be rescued from that, to be set free from that life, and to be restored to the life God created for us. And I have to believe that if you're hearing this message today, that God is calling out to you. And I imagine there are some of you who've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've already done this, you've already been transformed. You've experienced his power. You've experienced the gospel. And you've been set straight. And your heart has been made alive in him. And you understand what I'm talking about. But there are some of you right now, you're listening to this, and you're saying, well, this, listen, this is, this is good and all, Pastor. This is great. I love that you're talking about this. But I can't leave my sin. I like it too much. I've tried to be better. I've tried to do the Christian thing. But I just, I just can't get past this. So I'm just doing it my own way and hoping for the best. Do you know why you can't overcome your sin? Because you're trying to overcome it in your own strength rather than in the strength of Jesus. That's why you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. In fact, if you say, I can't do it, you're right. You can't do it. You have to submit your life to Christ, and then he'll come in and he'll do the work. And that's what Paul came to see. You see, Paul was a religious man. He had all the stuff. He had all the works. But he came to the place where he was like, all this stuff doesn't work. I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus and you this morning and me and all of us. We need Jesus as much as we ever did, as much as Paul did, as much as anyone in history ever did. And that is exactly what we're getting at today. There's five things Paul tells us that we need here. And I'm just going to run through them. 
And, 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 and he essentially tells us what he was aiming for. Okay, here again, we see a man in Paul who was aiming for this world, but he ditched it all to aim for Christ, whom he had discovered was so much better. My question to you today is what are you aiming for on this Easter? What are you aiming for? Are you aiming for restoration in Jesus? To, to the, are you aiming towards the resurrection? Do you want to experience that resurrection power? Or is your life aimed in another direction? Because I want to be clear, you cannot aim, in, you cannot aim both at the resurrection of Jesus and at significance and meaning in this world. You can't have them both. So back to the passage in verse 10, I want to remind us what Paul said, because it was a couple minutes ago that we read this. So, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. There's a reason I picked that for the title of this message, because this is really the crux of the entire Easter message. That we would know Christ, that we would know the power of the resurrection. And by the way, it's a good, it's a good summary of the gospel message. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. The only way to life is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Here's what he tells us. I, I think here's a couple things Paul is pointing out for us. Um, because he says, again, remember, my aim, my aim is to know Jesus. What does it mean to know Jesus? I think there's two important things. One is that knowing Jesus means knowing God. If you know Jesus, you know God. Christ himself said in the Gospel of John, he said to his disciples when they were asking him, Lord, show us the Father. He says, have you guys not been hanging out with me for the last couple of years here? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know Jesus, you know God. And there's a couple of things about knowing God. I think that knowing God means knowing my true self more accurately. Here's why. The Bible says that God made people in his own image. So we were made to be like him. So to the extent that we are unlike God, we are actually less human. Now think about that for a minute. I know we all think somehow that the Christian religion is somehow dehumanizing us because it's conforming us to God. But if you were created for a certain purpose and you're not fulfilling your purpose, are you really fully human? Your purpose was to be someone who reflects the glory of God and you are more yourself when you are in Christ than you are without Christ. I know that your mind has been twisted. That's true of all of us. Our mind has been twisted to think that going our own direction and, and, and you know marching to the beat of our own drum is somehow this great thing. You realize what's so funny about this, the irony of it, is everybody out there who's marching to the beat of their own drum is really marching to the beat of society's drum. There are no original ideas, very few. Most of us are, are, are wrapped up in a cultural ethic that is it's society that's telling us you have to be this way, you have to do this, you have to dress this way, you, have, you need to have this many sexual partners by the time you're such and such an age that you should go ahead and divorce and, and do whatever you want just because you don't like your marriage. You, you should be able to, uh, to, to have whatever sexuality you want to. You should be able to do this, this, you know, all these different things. These are all coming from a culture. These are not original ideas. We're conforming to other people's ideas. We're most free when we are conforming our minds to the ideas of God because, listen, He's infinite. He's eternal. If you're stuck in this world, you're, you're stuck to something. You've hitched your pony to a wagon that can't go very far. 
But if you are in Christ, you are, you are in someone who is infinite and eternal, whose ideas are infinitely more complex. You can go a lot further in Christ than you can in this world. I want to read you a quote. This is from a book called Rumors of God by Darren Whitehead. But it says, when the entire culture is dreaming the same thing, imagination has been taken captive. An alternative dream requires animation by a different narrative. Knowing my true self means I'm free to be who I was always meant to be, not what society says I should or have to be. You're more human when you're in Christ. But here's another thing about knowing God. Knowing Jesus means peace within ourselves. When we know Jesus and we know that we are in Jesus, that is to be adopted into God's family through him, then we know that we're good no matter what comes our way. You know why there are a lot of Christians who aren't freaking out right now? And I'm not saying this is true of everybody, but a lot of Christians are in the middle of this pandemic and they're just fine. You know, I, I mean, and uh, not to say that we don't have stressors. I mean, this has generally been me. I've kind of been like, well, I mean, it's, I don't like it and I'm being more careful. And it's funny how I'm catching little silly isms in myself right now sometimes. And I, it's like this thing is stirring some things up and God's teaching me some things about myself and helping me to repent of some hidden sin that I didn't even know. You know, some, maybe some inner anxiety and things like that, 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 that the pressure cooker of this environment has sort of brought out. And those are good things. I'm learning. But, but generally, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm like, I'm kind of okay. You know, I'm, I'm not that worried about running out of toilet paper. I'm not, I mean, even though I'm not excited about the, the economy struggling, I'm not, I find myself generally okay because what's this world going to do to me? I'm in Christ. What can this world take away from me? Even if I get the virus and die, I've actually gained because I'm going to go be with Jesus. I'm kind of cool with it, you know? And, and, and there's something about that. Knowing I'm in Christ, I know I'm secure. I love this uh, quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, We have all things in abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have a skill with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what that means? It means God's going to take care of all of my needs. I know that he's got me. Like the old song, his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. The second thing we see that Paul says here is to know the power of his resurrection. To know Jesus is important. We've got to know him. Christ is the door to the resurrection power. If you're not in Christ, you can't have the resurrection power. You've got to know Jesus. Jesus' resurrection means that the curse of sin is broken. And if sin's curse is broken, that means that we can be free. Remember, again, we, we mentioned this. If, if, if sin's curse is broken, that means I can live. Romans 6.23, we mentioned this earlier, but... The wages of sin is death, or I love the way that the New English translation puts it, for the payoff of sin is death. It's like we have a loan that we've, we've incurred that we can't pay off. It's, it's an infinitely expensive loan. The interest rate is so high, it's, 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 it's 100% every day. It's insurmountable. The payoff for sin is death. The only thing that can pay it off is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. It means he paid it off. His death 
pays the debt of your sin because the righteous has traded his life for the unrighteous. That means if you're in Christ, he paid off your loan. So that means death no longer has an ultimate claim on us. And if Jesus lives, so do we. And Paul writes, so we do not lose hope. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our, we see that we're, we're, we're fading in this world, but inwardly we're becoming something new and great and glorious, and we know that the resurrection power is enough to set us in a place where when Jesus returns, we're coming back with him. This world cannot take your life away from you. It is in Jesus' hands. And the power of the resurrection unlocks everything else for us to be transformed, by the way. And that's why he, he names the next couple of things. I mean, to share in his sufferings. And there's two ways that we do that. One of them is, is what uh, is an old, I'm going to give you an old theology word, but I'm going to define it for you because it's just a good word. This is the word we should use more. It's the word imputation. Imputation is the assignment of a value upon someone or something. So, for instance, if I have a $2 bill and the President of the United States writes an executive order that my $2 bill is worth $100, guess what? My $2 bill is worth $100 because the President says so and he has the authority. And if I'm a broken, dead sinner and Jesus declares me new and alive, guess what? I am new and alive because the one who has the authority has made the declaration. He paid the price. He made the way. He rose from the dead as a guarantee. And we know. In fact, the Bible says Christ is the first fruits of those resurrected from among the dead. You know what that means? He's the first of many. There's many more coming. And all of us who are in him will also be raised when he returns. So there's a sense in the imputation part of it that Christ has assigned his, the the, uh, the credit for his own sufferings on us. That's what that means. He suffered in our place, so we suffered with him. But there's also the sense that we experience physical suffering ourselves. And, and, and there's a sense in which in that process we're identifying with Jesus and his sufferings. When I find myself sick, or I find myself persecuted, or struggling with something, or depressed, or I'm going through all these difficulties of this life, there's a very real sense in which I can identify in that with the sufferings of Jesus. And we should take that opportunity to grow spiritually, to understand at least something of what he went through for us. God does not waste those things. He wants us to grow up in Christ in those things. So for those of us who belong to Christ, our ultimate aim is no longer comfort in this world. We have a much larger and longer view now. We want to be like Christ. And we know that suffering helps us to become like Christ. It teaches us his character. We identify with him in it. But then Paul says that we are that he wants to become like him in his death. What does that mean? People might look at that and say, does that mean we're supposed to also be crucified? That's not what Paul's saying. Christ was crucified. We don't have to be crucified too. But there are two ways that I will point out specifically that we must die. One, we have to die to sin just like Jesus. Jesus died for our sins so that we could die to our sins and be free from slavery to sin. Now catch this, Many, and I, I sort of said this earlier, but a lot of people will say, well, that's, that's all good, but I just can't do it. I just can't get over my sin. And, and, and I think that this problem is not just for a few. I think this is most people. Most people struggle with this issue that we're trying to beat sin alone. 
In other words, you're trying to get your act together before you come to God. You want God to accept you, and so you want to make sure, like, when you show up to church, you're good and you're ready to go. Here's the problem that doesn't work. You have to surrender first because God is the only one who can make you right. He's the only one who can cleanse you. You have to be cleansed of your sin before you can be righteous. And you cannot clean yourself. It's impossible. It's like trying to clean a car with a dirty oil rag. You can't do it. And, and if it doesn't make sense, that's okay. Because you're, but you're not alone. If this whole thing doesn't make sense to you, realize you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that in you. So here's what I would encourage you to do. If none of this makes sense to you, I would encourage you to go to God and say, Lord, listen, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe in Jesus. Help me to understand. I want to give my life to him. And if that's true in you and you really want it, I believe the Holy Spirit will meet you where you are right now and he'll give you the power to understand and he'll unlock in your heart the power of the gospel and he will save your soul. But you have to come to him. Not as somebody who's demanding God to accept your righteousness, but as one who is accepting righteousness from God as a gift. And we also must die to self just like Jesus. Jesus didn't live for self-will or preservation. He gave himself away so that others can thrive. And that's what true love actually looks like. And now we see the fifth thing. And Paul says all of this. He says that I might somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. I love this statement, this this is because Paul says, hey, this is my goal. I want to be raised from the dead when Jesus comes back. I want that. Because again, if Christ is, if Christ is risen, then he can raise you up too. That's important. So you may be looking at your life and thinking, wow, I mean, this is, this, all of it's going to fade away. That's so depressing. But know this, that if you're in Christ, it will be restored. And it will be better than it ever was. If we can be raised, there is nothing greater that we might strive for. Now Jesus told a parable once. He said, there was a man who was walking through a field. And in that field he found a treasure. And, the, and, and so he went and he sold all that he had so that he could buy that field and the treasure would be his. There's also another parable that he tells alongside of that when he says that there was a, a, a dealer in fine jewelry who found a pearl that was worth exponentially more than anything he'd ever seen. The Bible calls it the pearl of great price. And, and so this merchant went and sold all of he had, all of his fine jewelry, everything to buy that one pearl because it was worth more than anything that he had. You see, that's what life in Christ is. The, the Puritans, you know, our, our ancestors who came over on the Mayflower and the other boats, those guys who had the really cool hats and the slick belt buckles, those dudes, okay, the Puritans, they had this thing they used to say, and I love it. They used to say to people, have you bought the pearl? You know what that, me that meant for them was, have you sold everything? Have you sold out to this world so that you could have Jesus? He's better. If you sold out to this world so you could have the resurrection power, because again, here's the thing. Everything you have is going to fade away. Everything. Everything you've earned. Everything you've put together in this world. 
even relationships. People are valuable, but they die. At some point, you will come to a place in your life, if you live long enough, where everything that you've ever built your life around will fade away. But if you've bought the pearl, you will not lose that pearl. In other words, if you sold your life out to have Jesus and his resurrection power, no one can take from you that life. Every single thing in this world can never measure up to the beauty and the worth of Christ. If we are in Christ, we will have lost nothing. Matter of fact, we will have gained. We have infinite and infinite we have an infinite and infinitely more glorious future ahead of us if we are in Christ. So what can this world give us? What I'm trying to tell you is the same thing Paul was trying to say to his readers is if you know that you can be resurrected from the dead and you can have an eternity secure in Christ and you can be remade by God, restored into the person you were originally created to be and you'll live forever and you'll be with Jesus and it's going to be okay in that place forever. You have lost nothing but you have gained everything if you trade it all to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because if you're in Christ, I promise you this, you will be resurrected from the dead, and you will be resurrected to glory to be with him forever. It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of the bloody cross and the empty tomb. Just a couple more quotes, and we're going to finish up today. This is another quote from Darren Whitehead. It's a good book, by the way, Rumors of God quality book. Um, he says, all too often we turn down the infinitely valuable in exchange for the trivial. Now I want to I follow that with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds, the desires, finds that our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory. So when I ask you this question to close out today, what's keeping you from running headlong after Jesus today? What thing which will unquestionably fade away are you holding on to that is keeping you from coming after Jesus with everything that you are? I mean, and my encouragement for us today is let's go for it. It's not worth it for us to hold on to these things which are going to keep us from Jesus. When we can have Jesus, we might as well buy the pearl. We might as well sell all that we have and pursue with everything we have Christ that we may know him and the power of his resurrection, that we will share with him in his suffering, that we would somehow become like him in his death and attain the resurrection from among the dead, just as the Apostle Paul has encouraged us in this passage. My prayer today is that we would be like Paul and that we would make it our aim to know Christ, that we would do all these things. Jesus wants this for you. The question is, do you want it for yourself? Whatever you think is better than Jesus, I just want to say this morning, you're wrong. 
Whatever you think is better than Jesus or more important than Jesus or greater than knowing Christ and his resurrection, you're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. And Jesus is infinitely better, and it would be a shame for you to miss the holiday at sea because you were caught, too caught up with making mud pies, as C.S. Lewis told us. So maybe today is the day that we all collectively put down our mud pies and come after Jesus. I promise you one thing. This is one thing we would never regret, is pursuing Christ and putting all these other things away. Again, you cannot aim for both Jesus and this world at the same time. So what are you going to do? I asked you this question early in this message. What are you aiming for today? Is it Jesus? My encouragement to you this morning is whatever you're aiming for that's not Jesus, stop and put your aim squarely on him and you will never regret knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Listen, I don't know what God's doing in your heart this morning, but I will tell you that you have a chance to respond to him today. There's something the Bible tells us, and that's that if we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel, that means turn away from your sins and you're aiming for the world and believe in the gospel that Christ is good and that he is the only thing worth aiming towards, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead for you, you will be saved. Paul tells us in Romans that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. If you call on his name today, I promise you, he will not put you to shame. He will save your soul. He will begin the process of restoring you into the image of his son. He'll give you the Holy Spirit as your guide. And that's what we believe Easter is all about. And that's what God is calling you and me and all of us to today. Listen, you can text us or you can call us at the number that's listed. Um, You can text us. I'm going to give you my Google Voice number. All right, this is a good place you can text me. It'll come right to my phone, 405-518-5164. That's 405-518-5164. You can text that number, and you'll be in contact with me personally. Uh, we, We want to minister to you this morning. We want to help you connect with Jesus more deeply. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.